this uh, sermon after I wrote it has taken on new meaning for us this past few days. Um, you'll see why in a little while, I guess. Everybody who knows us knows that we like to uh, decorate for Christmas. <laughs> and we do it early. Uh, in October, our decorations will go out. We don't usually decorate very much for Halloween, but we did try to do a little decoration one year. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you. Probably one of the best known decorations for Halloween is what? The jack-o'-lantern, right? It's that pumpkin that you clean out and you carve a face into. You know, and you remember when I was growing up, jack-o'-lantern was pretty simple. Cut it open. You cleaned it out. You put two triangles and a jagged mouth and you were done. That was a jack-o'-lantern. In recent years, that is not what a jack-o'-lantern looks like anymore. Now, it's uh, more elaborate. There are pictures that people put on their pumpkins. They even sell kits at Walmart that have patterns and tools to get it done. Well, Carrie and I decided about 15, 16 years ago, 17 years ago, that we were going to try our hand at a little bit more elaborate pumpkin. Now, we didn't use any of the patterns they gave because we decided we were going to reclaim this mount for Jesus. We often feel a little bit more spiritual. And so we took our pumpkin and we carved it and we opened it up and cleaned it all out and carved a cross on this side and a cross on this side and we very gingerly put the word Jesus in the pumpkin. And then we were so proud. We put that pumpkin out on the porch and we lit it up and you stop, you drive out of the house and you see two crosses in Jesus and we were like, that pumpkin is good. Good. We left it out there the next day, all day long. And uh, that next evening, Carrie went outside to lock the pumpkin and she came back inside and said words that I thought I would never hear. She came in and she said, Somebody stole our Jesus. <laughs> and I went, Huh? Boy, I had two hoodlums that lived next door. Uh, and, you know, they, they left our water on outside one day and it flooded the whole yard. So I knew who had done it. But they literally, I walked outside and looked, and sure enough, they had taken the Jesus right in the middle of the bucket. Now there were just crosses on each side of the hole. The pumpkin had changed. By taking those letters from the window of the pumpkin, someone had left a hole where Jesus was supposed to be. I just kept thinking. Who would steal Jesus? What could the motive be? But then I realized this wasn't just a phenomenon that happens with pumpkins. It happens in the lives of Christians all the time. This morning I want to look at two places in the Bible and you can get them ready if you want to. We're not going to read them right at first. One's John 10.10 10, and the second one's 1 Kings chapter 19. Do you remember what it was like when you first found Jesus? That excitement that came with it. The fact that you wanted to, to go and tell everybody there was a boldness in your life because you know you had found Jesus and you needed to share Jesus because people needed to know about Jesus. There was a joy that, that overflowed from the very depths of your soul. 
Remember that confidence that you can really do everything through Christ? Remember how you changed you felt when it happened? Do you remember when it stopped feeling as fresh? When maybe you lost some of the zeal? When you felt as if someone had pulled the rug out from under you when you came to that relationship with Jesus? you remember that feeling of loss when the prayers that you gave didn't seem to go anywhere for the first time? Did you ever wonder where it went? Did you ever wonder why you lost the zeal? Did you ever question why it changed? Or did you just accept it as part of growing up in Christ that had to get normal at some point? Our first point today comes before we ever read our text. And there's a truth we need to know. You don't have to settle for hope on Christianity. You don't have to settle for a Christianity that just says, well, I'll go to church and I'll check the boxes off. You don't have to settle for a Christianity that just is something you do rather than something that you live. You don't have to do that. We should not just accept that the fire has died down. We don't ever have to be a run-of-the-mill Christian. We can always be like we were when we first found it. We have that ability. Then why do so many people lose that state of being? I think the key is found in John 10.10. 10. It's sandwiched here in the Good Shepherd passage. Jesus tells us a great secret about living life through Him. John 10.10 10 says this, A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory, Father. Use me as a vessel and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in your son Jesus and for his sake. And all God's people said. Amen. You know, so many times we read this verse, it's really talking about salvation. And I think it's talking about so much more. It's talking about life in general. It's talking about what we're supposed to be and what we end up as. It's talking about what Jesus brings as opposed to what Satan takes. This morning, let's think beyond salvation in this passage. Let's look at what life is supposed to be. Jesus is clear that what His purpose was. His purpose wasn't for just for us to be saved. That wasn't Jesus' purpose. He didn't come just for us to be saved and one day, after everything else happens, it'll all be fine. That's not why He came. He said, I came so that you could have life and have it to the full. King James says, more abundantly. That's the life we claim and experience just after salvation. But somewhere along the way, most of us lose some of that. That's where the thief comes in. Because he doesn't care. He takes. He actually does more than just take. The thief steals anything he can to weaken your faith. Anything he can, he'll take to weaken your faith. Stealing isn't just taking it's taking something that doesn't belong to you. It's dishonest. It's hurtful. It's damaging. One other thing I noticed about stealing is stealing is sneaky. It doesn't say wrong. You notice that? It doesn't say the thief comes to rob. Because robbing is something that kind of takes place in public, right? If I'm robbed, I picture somebody walking up and they're just they keep putting a gun at me. They say, give me all your money. That's being robbed. A thief steals. A thief takes a little bit of secret, secretiveness. Stealing requires stealth. Stealing often happens without the victim knowing it. The thief comes when you're not looking. He comes 
and takes what is rightfully yours. He steals not only lost souls, He'll steal your joy. He'll steal your hope. He'll steal your love. He'll steal your abundant life. In short, the thief steals your Jesus. He takes that part of your relationship that ignites your soul. The way the devil sees it is, if he can't have your soul, he'll have your abundant life. Because if you know Jesus, if, if you know Him, He can't take your soul because it belongs to God. It's in His right hand and it can't be snatched out. If you know Jesus, that is saved. But He'll take that spark. He'll grab that life and make you wonder where it ever went. He'll work through depression to get you there. He'll work through hard times. He'll work through sickness. He'll work through death. He'll make you feel like your prayers aren't not only being answered, they're not even being heard. He'll do everything He can. He'll throw out theories and call them facts. Which will, will make Christians doubt the truth of the Bible. Things like evolution. Things like the Big Bang. And he does all of this in secret. He does it slowly. He does it in ways that you never know what's happening. He just kind of slides it in. He just kind of sneaks it in. So that we begin to think things are normal. I don't know how often we change the channel on TV or just quit watching the channel altogether. Because they begin trying to sneak things in. Just a little bit here. Just a little bit there. It, it's okay. And after a while, he does it so slowly, you never know what's happening. So you look up one day and something is missing in your life. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens slowly. It happens in those sneaky ways. The thief steals your Jesus from you when you don't see him. And what you're left with is not abundant life. Many times it isn't life at all. Because if the devil can't have a non-Christian, he'll settle for a dead one. I can't have your soul. I can't keep you from heaven. But I can sure destroy your witness. I can sure make it look like knowing Jesus really doesn't affect anything. Because if you already belong to Jesus, He can't take you to hell, but He can put you through it. If He's already lost your soul, He'll zap your joy. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what kind of troubles that you've been having. He doesn't care if you really need comfort. He doesn't care if you begin to doubt the Bible. It's what He wants. The thief comes to kill. You cannot kill what has eternal life. If Jesus has given you eternal life, you can't be killed and come out of eternity, but He can kill your joy. He can kill your excitement. He can kill your confidence. He can kill your boldness. He can kill all those things. He can turn you into a walking shell of the Christian that you once were. He can make you, as Jesus describes that church over in Sardis in Revelation 3, you have a name that is alive, but you were dead. That's what He can do. Make no mistake about it. Just because the devil cannot have your salvation doesn't mean you don't have things he can kill. He wants to kill your joy. He wants to kill your spirit. Because in all reality, a dead Christian is probably more valuable to Satan than a lost soul. A dead Christian can't make more Christians. Can't. A dead Christian doesn't draw other people in. If there is no light, you're not... A dead Christian has nothing that appeals to the lost around them. A dead Christian isn't a good advertisement for the church. Honestly, a dead Christian can't produce live Christians. 
You know, in the summertime, I hate leaving the porch light on. Why? Bugs. Because the bugs are drawn to the light. It's the same thing with the lost people in the world. They're drawn to the light. But if we're not shining the light, there's nothing to be drawn to. It doesn't do any good for me to say, well, I go to church, and I, I tithe every week, and I do what I'm supposed to do. But then you walk out and you go, oh, man. Life is just bad this week. I just can't handle it. I, I had a discussion with she who shall not be named this week um, about not letting situations rob you of your joy. Because when you get robbed of your joy because of a situation, the devil wins. I mean, it's just a situation. I mean... Carrie last night was looking at me and she said, it's hot. And I said, I just went to camp two weeks ago. This is nothing. <laughs> this wasn't anything. I mean, camp was hot. This is nothing. I'm like, we got a whole house standing. The wheels blowing through here. We're, I'm good. She's like, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, that's why you should have gone to camp. But, you know, we can't let the devil rob us of our joy because when people look at us, if they see us as always just complaining and we're always upset. You know, there's a difference between making a joke and just being negative. I'll joke about things. I mean, some of y'all might have seen that I, I posted a post on Facebook here a while back that I said if if the pastor, if you drive by and there's a still in the backyard, the pastor isn't drinking, he's making gas. Because gas is high. <laughs> it's the truth. And it's just what it is. And to me, I'm going to find the humor in a situation. Because Jesus came to give me some joy. And if I can't find the humor in what's going on, then I'm just going to walk around and I'm going to look like I'm sucking on a living and people are going to be going, well, I don't want to hit part like that. That's not the God I want to follow. Because He's not promising me what the guys on TVN promised me. For your gift of $25 or more, I'll send you this rag that I prayed over. And if you'll send in $50, God will give it back to you a hundredfold. I'm not going to promise you that because I don't know what God's going to do. But I know if you're faithful, God is faithful. Amen. He's faithful when you're not faithful. Yes. And that's what it boils down to. We cannot let the devil sap us of those things because a dead Christian can't produce live Christians. He comes to, he comes to kill. He would rather have a, a dead Christian. Why? Well, a lost soul doesn't mean anything. A lost soul is like everybody else out there. But a dead Christian says Jesus didn't really change his life anyway. If all Christianity is, is me getting to heaven, I can wait until I get closer. I can live my life wildly. And when I'm on my deathbed, I can accept Jesus and go to heaven. It won't matter. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. Because the thief comes to destroy what better way to destroy the church than to kill the witness of all the Christians? A dead church cannot reproduce itself. Once Satan has stolen and killed the joy, the confidence, the boldness in a church body, he has succeeded in killing that church. Because death cannot bring life. A dead Christian has nothing to offer lost souls. Because here's the funny thing. Let me go back to those theories for me. Here's my rabbit for the morning. 
the theory of evolution. All hinges on the fact that once and only once the first law of biological science was broken. All life comes from pre-existing life. That's the first rule of biological science. So for me to believe the theory, I have to say, well, just once. The scientific rules didn't matter. It takes a lot more faith for me than believing in Jesus. Because life comes from life. We have life not because Jesus died, but because He rose again. Life comes from life. When people look at you, when people look at me, when people look at our church, they want to know what it is that we have to offer. What is it that we have? Is there a joy that's inviting? The thief comes in and destroys all that we have by stealing our Jesus. Isn't it funny how all this can happen with a little theft? All this happens just because Satan steals the Jesus in our life. I think the greatest example of someone Satan worked on in this way was Elijah over in 1 Kings 19. Elijah is one of the greatest prophets Israel's ever known. He called down a drought and there was a drought. He called for rain and there was rain. He stood on a mountain and called down fire from heaven. Then he beat a chariot back to the city on foot. And now we find him holed up in a cave with a very different attitude. Chapter 19, starting in verse 14. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I'm alone and left. And they're looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you were to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. You were to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Maholah, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that is not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that he has not, has not kissed him. This is the woe is me passage, right? Oh no! I'm all alone. What's going to happen? It's hopeless. He's just had the greatest spiritual victory of his life. And now because a woman said, I'm going to get you. I mean, guys, we understand, right? But still. Because um, a woman said, I'm going to get you. He's off in a cave crying out to God saying, I don't understand. God, I can't handle this anymore. He's blaming everyone except for Satan. The church folk had failed him. Society had killed his brothers and now he was alone and things were hopeless. Folks, I know this was pre-incarnation of Jesus, but somebody has instilled that man's Jesus. He had given up. He had lost all hope. Do we do that? Do we ask questions all the time? How often do we find ourselves what are we going to do? People are gone. They just left. Nobody cares about church anymore. Why are we the only ones doing the work? We can't get them here on Sunday. How many of us are in the same boat with Elijah? How many of us have had our Jesus stolen recently? But God's answer to Elijah is pretty clear. He said, Hush! I've got it all under control, and you're not alone. That's the same message for us today. 
steal, kill, and destroy. We need to be on guard and don't let anybody steal your Jesus. Maybe this morning someone already stole your Jesus. It's not too late. You can get it back. Maybe it's when you become a dead Christian. I've got good news. My God is in the business of raising the dead. Maybe this morning you're afraid that this church is on its way to destruction. Take heart to God's words to Elijah. I have kept for myself 7,000 who have not bowed down to Baal. You are not alone. The time is now to seize abundant life. And go out with it. We live in a world that is ready for Jesus. They're looking for something. They're searching for something. And if we don't live our lives abundantly in the way He has called us to do with a joyful attitude, they are never going to want to have what we have. Never. They're going to be like, well, why would I want that? Your life isn't any different than mine. You're just as upset as I am. You're just as stressed as I am. You're just as mad as I am. We all love people like that. Huh? I love Jesus, but oh. No, I've told you about Miss Faye before. 103 years old. Put herself in the nursing home because she failed and she got scared because she lived alone. And it wasn't one of those good nursing homes. It was one of those ones where there was always somebody down the hall hollering help. And it was not a fun place. And she said to me, Troy, I don't know why God's keeping me around. But there's got to be some reason. She had every reason to be upset and downtrodden. But she kept enjoying. Maybe this morning, maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you've been looking at the world and it's been piling up and you're going, I can't handle this anymore. And it's just been getting to you. And you've been grumbling and you've been upset. You've been snapping at people. You know those Snickers commercials? <laughs> Maybe you're acting hangry because you're hangry for the Word of God and you're hangry for a relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's time to break into a little bit of Jesus and say, okay. Because if we're not, if we're not plugged into the source, it's hard. This world's going to chew you up and spit you out. But Jesus changes everything. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to start a missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. Maybe this morning, maybe you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken that step and, and you've never experienced that complete release. If that's you, come down the altar for the trial of Jesus and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.